0: We, we want in this project, to some degree, sure, we want to describe Dole. More importantly, we want to explain Dole. And through Dole, we want to explain the Senate, how it works, yeah, which it is a mystery work. to a whole <clears throat> lot of folks. Yeah. And what it was, whatever it was, I mean, I've known him a long time, written about him, but I've never felt I've even got my arms around whatever it was, right. behind closed doors, whatever alchemy or magic um, he and others performed.
1: Well, his, well, in the first place, you could go into a conference, which is where the final thing happens, uh, or even a last meeting just prior to the Senate vote, and you'd have different you know, points of view. Uh, and his timing was beautiful. He would come in right at the right moment, and he would know where the two uh, positions were. And he was so terribly smart uh, in figuring out some kind of a compromise that would work for both. And he would come in right at the moment and say, Well, what about this? You know, and boom. And the and the two people would look at it and know that instead of facing a closed door, there was a way out. And and they'd go out. Now, it may not be perfect in regards to <clears throat> the uh ideological, uh, uh, philosophical folks, but he got it done, and he was a master at it. Uh, timing, knowing the subject, and then with a sense of humor, and and then when something had to be forced, uh, he'd force it. Uh, my word, the, the legislation that goes down the laundry list, one of the things that we're still working on, and is a, as a... Uh, absolute vital tool in the War Against Terrorism is the World Food Program. Well, guess what? That was McGovern Dole, or as we say in Kansas, Dole McGovern. But Bob knew that if he get McGovern he could do this, and he knew the personalities, and he knew how to put people together and make it work.
0: Now that presupposes, though, that you've got, in addition to Dole, you've got two <clears throat> senators who want to find a compromise. That's true and that presumably is not always the case.
1: Not today, not today. I, I could get very partisan, but I'm not going to do that on the program with our good friends across the aisle, but they have their agenda and we don't even have any amendments. We're on judges right now and we're forcing closure votes and waiting it all out and make them wait. And so we're dug in, they're dug in, and it's politics. And now in the war, they're, they're saying the war is lost uh, not worth any other American life, uh, not worth any other American wounded. Well, if that's the case, somebody ought to stand up, Harry Reid, and make a motion, uh, put in an amendment, stop the funding. Stop it. L- leave. If that is the case. But they don't do it. They're going to drag it on and on and on for political purposes as well <clears throat> that would be <clears throat> um, you know, commensurate with what they think ought to be done. Now they got the bifurcated thing and whatever. In the meantime, here's Petraeus over there making some progress, not a lot, making some. He'll come back in September. He'll report, probably, that they are making some progress because we're doing now what we should have done three years ago. And it is getting safer and we do have the sheiks on our side and Al-Anbar province is better. Baghdad's a tougher story. But he could come back and say, we have remarkable progress. And the mindset Of those against the war, it ain't going to make any difference. Or the press, i.e. the national press, some of the press. So here's a guy in theater, voted 81 to nothing. He's going to come back and it ain't going to make any difference what he says, in my view. And the president says uh, to us when we went out to Greensburg here just the other day, he says, you know, if um, if Petraeus comes back and says we're not making progress, we're going to change policy. He says, but he's, if he says, we are making progress, well, we will adjust to that. Because he says, he doesn't, he says I want the troops home, but I don't want to have to send them back, and I don't want the next president to have to send them back. That's what we ought to be talking about, is the what-ifs in terms of national security lie over the horizon if, in fact, we would do this. and the, And the and the whole Middle East. We're not talking about that. All we're talking about is bring the troops home, but let us do it in a way that makes it very painful politically. That is unconscionable, as far as I'm concerned. Bob Dole will not permit that, and I don't think Mike Mansfield would, and I don't think, uh, as I try to run through all the Democrats on the other side, uh, now, Joe Lieberman wouldn't. I don't know. Why? But it looms large over everything, plus his poll numbers, and so people don't fear him, and then, then he's a lame duck, and then, you know, there you go.
0: Why do you think whatever it is that Dole did one-on-one, if that's what it was ultimately, and sort of wargaming and, and finding the perfect median, and anyway, all of this stuff, that's one kind of persuasion, one kind of leadership. That famously does not translate into what it takes these days to run for, let alone get elected president. may be very different from the skills necessary once you are president, but why do you think Dole's leadership abilities, particularly in the Senate, didn't translate nationally?
1: Oh, I think that's a pretty common thread. I think governors make better presidential candidates. Uh, They're the executive. Uh, They do things. uh, They make decisions. Uh, They work with their legislatures, of course, and sometimes that gets to be a real arm-wrestling contest. But I'm going to say something that I'd have to back up with a lot of research. I think Bob Dole, over his career as the Republican leader of the Senate uh, and or the minority leader, got more done than many presidents. If you look at the legislative achievements that he achieved through tough leadership, compromise, sheer skill, Hubert Humphrey called him the smartest man in the Senate. He didn't do so just by saying that. And he knew how the Senate operated, quick study, self-depreciating humor, big item, uh, and getting people to work together at the appropriate moment.
0: So personal relations are still a critical part of succeeding in this place.
1: That's the... The only thing you have working for you in this place is your word. And you learn never to burn any bridge. Now you may privately gnash your teeth after a particular experience. And I have some folks right now that I'm not particularly happy with because of my experience on the Intelligence Committee. But you do not burn a bridge. Because on some issue down the road, uh, you're going to need that person. And you're going to find them on your side. And so you work with them uh, in that respect. Bob Dole is a classic example of that. I mean, when you have the McGovern-Dole School Feeding Program, uh, which my daughter, by the way, worked for, and the crucial thing of HIV-AIDS in Africa, and the crucial situation in uh, in hunger, and basically if you run that program, and then in these developing nations they will send their young women to school during that particular feeding program. They won't if there isn't any feeding. The education of young women today in the world is the number one uh, long-term answer to terrorism. Educated women won't put up with this. They will not put up with 7th century servitude. So here's a guy, along with George McGovern, who worked together on the World Food Program, which has been a tremendous success. Isn't
0: isn't it ironic that, that here, you look at that as statesmanship and applaud it, but out on the campaign trail these days, running for a party's nomination, you pay a price for cooperating with the enemy?
1: Well, everybody talks about bipartisanship and uh, an era of comity and that um, uh, let's work together, uh, so on and so forth. But the agenda, uh, as determined by the majority, and it could be on either side, uh, I would point to the House Republicans. and. and the way they ran the Congress the last four or five years, which is exactly what we campaigned against back in 1994, after the 40 years of Death Valley days when you couldn't even get a damn light bulb, unless you knew somebody on the Democrat side. I did. I knew Leon Panetta, so I could get a three-way light bulb. How ridiculous is that? I mean, it was run like a plantation. And then we had the house, you know, the house bank and the house restaurant. Then we had the uh, uh, the post office scandals and all of that, which I think played into the part of the change. Plus, President Clinton was on the job training for two years and made some mistakes. And we took over the Congress. Didn't take us long to uh, to uh, overreach and get into a bad situation. This, you know, this last uh, election cycle. Uh, Not many of our senators got into that kind of a problem, but that sweep was, was, I mean, it was like a tsunami. Uh, You know, the war, large loomed, there were an awful lot of of other problems as well, I guess. But, um, no, everybody talks about being bipartisan, and then, uh, boy, today, with the outside groups, it's uh, Katie Bar the Door. Uh, we didn't have that. We had our tough differences of opinion, and and we've had we've had you know we've had other very divisive issues. The Vietnam War was terribly divisive. Watergate was terribly divisive. Uh, you go through um, Iran Contra. Uh, you go through. I mean, maybe the aberration is when you have a, a period of about four to six or eight years where you don't have these kind of sensational uh, uh, say issues. But Bob was always able to transcend that and get something done. Amazing ability.
0: It must have been, I realize it's speculative, it must have been on many levels frustrating for him in the, when the government was shut down during the Putin oh. presidency and, for, and to sit in the room with his nominal allies oh. <laughs> negotiating with the president.
1: Uh, Richard, I was there. I was designated as the uh, liaison between Newt Gingrich and Bob Dole. Uh, This was Newt's idea. One of the things that I enjoyed in the House was that people thought, at least, that whatever I proposed, Bob Dole was for. That gave me more leverage than an awful lot of members of the House what they didn't know is that maybe Bob had no idea what I was doing or maybe didn't, didn't even think it was a good idea my favorite time was when we would hit a crisis in Kansas like one time the uh, Grain Inspection Service shut down the harvest over a different criteria that they suddenly imposed and uh, so I went down to the Department of Agriculture during the meeting walked in unannounced and said I'm sorry but uh, you can have this meeting if you want, but you have to be at Bob Bill's office at two o'clock in the afternoon, and he wants a report as to why in the heck, and I didn't say heck, the Candace grain harvest has come to a screeching halt with this kind of bureaucratic nonsense, so be there at two o'clock. And uh, so then I got in my car, and I zipped down to the Senate, and I tugged on Bob's uh, coat there, and I said, we got a heck of a problem. They've shut down the grain harvest in Kansas. He said, well, what are we doing about it? And I said, you're having a meeting at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And he said, well, I can't be there at 2. And I said, don't worry, I'll be there. And uh, send whoever it was that was in charge of ag at that time. I don't know if it was Bill Taggart or whoever it was. And uh, so we had, uh, and just before the meeting, I got a call from the Federal Grain Inspection Folks down there, and the director of that outfit said, uh, uh, "We don't uh, tell the senator we don't have to have a meeting at two o'clock. We've we've changed the criteria. We put a moratorium on it. Bingo." Well, if you have that kind of influence that people think of with Bob, you you can get a lot done. Well, Newt thought that, and then he established me as liaison. So I traced over to Bob's office and sit down. And this was right at the time. Not. It was before the government shutdown. It was right before the so-called uh, revolution that we were going through, uh, and we did do an awful lot of things. We didn't market them well at all. Nobody knew what the hell we did, but we did do a lot of things to change the way the house ran. And so I went over to Bob's office, and he said, uh, "What's going on?" And I said, "Well, um, I've got a new appointment." So well, what's that? And I said, "Well, I'm the new liaison between you and." Uh, And Newt, he said, well, we just had our first and last meeting. And so I said, oh, and uh, he said, "Uh, we'll get along, we'll be all right. So I came back over to Newt. Newt said, what do you say? What do you say? And I said, oh, everything's fine. Everything's super. You know, everything's fine. Well, when it came down to the shutdown, and I still have notes uh, from those meetings, and it was... Very emotional, very controversial. Uh, we had those in uh, basically our caucus, the Republican conference, uh, who wanted to continue to put pressure on to achieve a balanced budget, to appeal to the base, to shut down government, to force Clinton to compromise. Every day the government was shut down another law of, un- of unexpected... Uh, Events and consequences took place, all very bad. Grenades were going off everywhere. Well, somebody threw a brick, or there was some kind of an event at the Frank Carlson building uh, in Topeka. And I happened to be in his office, and that I was allegedly somebody uh, on Newt's team to go meet with people. Uh, I was a, a committee chairman at that particular time, but uh, Newt, for some reason, trusted me to be there, and so I was there. But at that particular time, when that happened, and I happened to be in Dole's office, there wasn't one of those big meetings. That call came in from the, the Carlson building, and he put down the phone, and he said, this is over. And he went to the Senate floor, ended it right then. Well... I went back to the house and some in the house who were fervently for keeping this shut down to strike a compromise or to make you know Clinton do the right thing with the budget uh, they thought he was Judas there were others of us from a pragmatic standpoint who said uh, this is not working well uh, this is like a firing squad in a circle uh, we <laughs> you know we are uh, we're not doing anybody any good. We're really hurting ourselves. Uh, this is not the way to go. Uh, I'm putting it mildly. Uh, very strong words in, in the conference. And uh, at that time, Phil Graham was running for president. And that one side went with Phil, and the other side went with Bob. And that was a pretty big thing at that particular time. But I'll never forget that. He took that one phone call where there was uh, an event, at the state building, which is, which is the public's building, and all of our offices were in there. And he said, that's it. You know, that's done. And
0: Did they learn to work together? Or was, it, was the chemistry just doomed in some ways? Uh, were, were
1: they so different? Oh, I don't think it was uh, a cattle and sheep war or an oil and gas mix. Uh, I just think that uh, they had a different approach to things. As you know, Newt is very unique, and so is Bob. Uh, Newt uh, had more ideas in 12 hours of work than anybody I've ever seen, and uh, I hope I'm not being dis, you know, disrespectful. I, I admire Newt. I still like him. Uh, he is a very brilliant person in many respects. Uh, he sends me, uh, I'm on his list. I don't know where he finds the time to write all of these essays and theories and recommendations and whatever. And But he's like a wheel with a niche in it. You know, the wheel comes around, so wing, it's over here, and you think, wait a minute, what, what, what was that? And uh, he may be correct, who knows? But it's not quite in the mainstream. Bob's not that way. You know, Bob lines up exactly what's going on, knows what's going on, knows what's possible from a very pragmatic standpoint, knows what can be done, and I just think uh, in some ways it, maybe it worked, you know, better than we think. I don't know. Uh, But then that's always the case with the Senate and the House. You know, you always have that, you know, difference of opinion. You've been in both. He's been in both. Right.
0: Um, Which is better?
1: Well, oh, it depends on your point of view uh, and what you get done. Uh, when I was chairman of the Ag Committee, I think that's the big test in your own mind. How did you make a difference? The reason we all come here is to make a difference. Bob Dole made uh, differences in, in people's lives that he'll never get credit for. They won't even know it. Uh, and I would love to have enough time to think about this and say, look at the laundry list of what he's done. Amazing as I say, probably more than many presidents. Uh, Ironic, ran for president, how many times, you know, two, three, four, I was right there, you know, toting bags, shining shoes, cleaning windows, saying this, saying that, uh, going to various states, Uh, you know, we all were in Candace, we were very proud of him as a native son. But after running for president for three or four times, and then look back on your career and realize that you've made more of a difference, look at the World War II memorial. That would not have happened without Bob Dole. I don't know of any president that can snap their fingers and do that. Uh, Plus all the other legislation, uh, especially for the handicapped. Give a
0: sense, because you've obviously been in the thick of it yourself, that the trajectory of Dole's career, particularly in the eighties and, and the nineties. I mean he was put on the ticket in seventy six because he was seen as a conservative, someone who had the imprimatur of the Reagan forces, if not of Reagan himself. By nineteen ninety six, he's seen as a dangerous liberal by some in the I don't party. know about liberal. But well liberal. but I mean well, it's, it's a mild exaggeration. Yeah, but yeah. but clearly he sort of chased the party as it moved Away from the traditional economic conservatism, right. to social conservatism, which by its very nature is more emotional.: Yes. Uh, and, um, and he didn't always look comfortable doing it, you know, particularly running in '96, um, the Hollywood speech, and uh, he may very well have believed every word he said. But you had this sense, the great thing about Dole, one of the great things is his authenticity. He's absolutely real and I had a feeling on the periphery that um, he sometimes appeared to be trying to be something that he wasn't in an effort to maybe feed the crocodiles or in any event to to neutralize the hard right
1: and I don't well, think I, I, I think he's doing the same thing he did in the Senate uh, it, it, you know to make some work ie win yeah. get enough votes be in the majority uh, you know when an election he tried to do the best he could to bridge that gap uh you can do it in different ways uh, you can wave the flag fire the first shot mount the parapets and do all of that uh whether it is uh, what everybody now calls the social issues or whether uh people are interested in those issues that affect their daily lives and pocketbooks as as opposed to very fundamental uh, beliefs. Bob respected that. Uh, I'm not sure that he was ever a flag waver so much as he wanted to bring the two together to achieve victory. One to win. in that respect, uh, I think probably some of the remarks and speeches were intended for that. You asked me what the difference is between the House and Senate, I'm going to take some liberty here. When I was in the House, uh, it was obvious that many people would come and want to get something done in two years. That's a two-year frame. Bob Byrd puts it best when he says the Founders had the House and they were the hot cup of coffee, and then he had the saucer and that was the senate so you pour the coffee out in the the saucer and then you can dip your biscuit in there and that's going to be fine and that's what the senate was for. So you have a real historic difference. You also have, you got to have 60 votes because you got the cloture situation and if you don't have 60 votes to beat cloture, any one senator at any particular time can throw a monkey wrench into anything and the house has a hard time explaining that or understanding that really and so many times people in your own party will say, well that doggone Senate they're not getting the job done I think I referred to the Senate at one time as the cave of the winds Uh, I did not tell Nancy Kasselbaum and Bob Dole that then when I got over to the Senate I looked back at the House and my old buddies over there and I said you guys are acting like the Khmer Rouge so I think you you know you got to look at it from different standpoints Uh, here you got to understand the system in the House I found it easier to get things done rather remarkably simply because I knew Newt and I could tug on his coat and for some reason he took my advice on a lot of things, and Bob Michael was very easy to work for, and it is uh, networking. That's the whole thing. You 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 don't burn bridges. Your word is good. People trust you when you uh, are proposing something that you want to get done. It makes sense. You go to the majority, uh, and there you have the rules committee. So you better get that you know taken care of. But you went to the chairman, you went to the minority, then you went to the Rules Committee, you went to the leadership, and maybe you got something done. Here, an individual senator, if he wants or she wants, can stand on the floor introduce an amendment, and maybe bingo and maybe not. Uh, more chances, than, in the way it is now, is probably not. So uh, I, I, I think there are differences. I think the House feels closer because every, every two years you know they're in the battle for uh, their political survival uh, in the Senate is six years, and you take a little time and and, and you which is the way the founding fathers intended uh, Not that you don't have close friendships in the Senate it's just a little bit different.
0: Dan Roskinkowski told me that uh, Clinton called him i think it was around the time of the of the shutdown and he said, "Tell me something about Bob Dole." In effect, give me an extra advantage in negotiating with him. And Rostankowski said nice things. uh, He said, but I'll tell you something, he's the most impatient man in Washington. He said, "Um, you know, at some point he'll, he'll sign on the bottom line just to get out of the room. But the interesting thing is, when I think back to Dole's success, and it's reinforced by what you've said here is a certain kind of patience is absolutely essential to, to, to doing that. I mean, to living within the Senate rules, um, to waiting until exactly the right moment mm-hmm. when everything comes together, mm-hmm. when your sixth sense tells you now and only now things can work.
1: Tell me about his patience or impatience. or Well, he had a sense of timing. Uh, it all depended on what he was working on and who he was working with. Uh, If you had one particular member of the Senate, uh, and we won't get into names, uh, that took extra care and feeding and coddling and Lord knows what, uh, and we do have some of those folks who demand everything, as opposed to the troops. Uh, The troops are your pulling guards or the people on the back rail on the House, and they're with you. Uh, There are... Some other people who uh, tend to be, well, you know, you say the workhorse, horse, show horse, whatever you want to say, some people can be very difficult, and he had the patience to work with them until they would finally come to the point where he knew about where it was, and then he would have to say, look, we gave you this, this, and this, we can't go any far, that's the deal. So take the deal or not. And at that time, since Bob had worked with them up to that point, they'd probably take the deal i would say probably eighty ninety percent of the time impatience uh, impatience only that he had so many things on his mind and he was making such a difference and he was the leader of the senate for so long that he did not he didn't suffer fools gladly and he didn't take time to uh... just to get into palaver for uh, you know palaver's sake like ross and would have and did uh, telling stories, so on and so forth. He's a great storyteller, and he's a fantastic uh, uh, what um, humorist, really. Great self-effacing humor. I've never seen anybody with a faster quip uh, than Bob Dole. Sometimes it might get a little acerbic, but uh, at any rate, uh, I was trying to think of the difference they said between us and CQ since I came over, uh, I was pleasantly irascible, and he was acerbic. I don't, I, I don't know the difference, but he could pinprick an issue in the middle of tough debate with a fast quip, and the and the balloon would come down, and people would laugh, and we'd get something done. Uh, impatience. Uh, yeah, I used to go on the floor. And I'd ask Sheila Burke, "I said, what kind of mood is he in?" And she'd always say, "What kind of a mood is, is he ever in?" You know. And so I'd go up, and I knew he was busy, and he was a master at manipulating the situation. If he didn't want to hear what he knew, you had to say because he had other things to do. Uh, but he would do it in a nice way. Uh, and he'd always turn to me and said, well, what's going on in Kansas? Are you minding the home front for me? You know, and that was usually what I was talking about. And I said, well, we just have a little problem. Uh, then he'd, and, and I'd have a window of about two minutes, maybe, uh, of his attention span. And then he'd have the staff member. Many times I'd just go and talk with him on the floor. I hate to say this. And I'd go to the staff and he hadn't agreed to it at all and didn't even what the subject was and i would tell the staff well i just talked to bob on the floor and this is what we got to do and uh... that was in essence how we got the job done
0: how did he change over the time you knew him I mean, when when did your paths first cross
1: oh gosh uh... i was a marine going to quantico Uh, Maybe before that, I think. I was working for Frank Carlson, his predecessor. I was his administrative assistant. Um,
0: What was he like, Frank Carlson?
1: uh, If there's ever a man that was totally respected by everybody in both parties, it was Frank Carlson. He founded the Prayer Breakfast. He, Eisenhower, Conrad Hilton, and Billy Graham. He was a gentleman's gentleman. I never heard him say a harsh word, never saw him lose his temper. Uh, He was back in the old school of the Senate when he and Olin Johnson were on the finance committee. They would meet in private, and they would go over the bill and say, well, we'll think it's pretty fair, this is pretty good, we'll just do that, and did.
0: It's funny, because we were talking to the senator earlier today. He said Carlson's first advice when he was elected in 68 was, uh, before anything else, make sure you go and see Johnson Dennis." Because apparently they were very, very close. And uh, who who strikes me as a similar sort.
1: Exactly. Temperament. uh, Exactly. The best of the old school. Yes, exactly.
0: Carlson was Dole. Carlson Because he left us to to believe that uh, Senator Carlson had tipped him off in his own way about his plans to retire. uh, And without ever, obviously, uh, officially endorsing Dole. uh, making it clear that um, he wouldn't uh, look askance at a dual
1: candidate. Well, i got to think on whose toes I'm stepping on here Well, Bill a. Uh, a. that are still with us and who aren't. Um, I was AA to Carlson. I could see a difference in the way he was conducting his business. Uh, this was starting into the campaign season and Alice's wife want to go back to Kansas. Uh, we all sort of know that George Stafford is former A.A. Wes Roberts, my dad, who uh, was the uh, state chairman and then uh, worked very closely with Carlson on the Eisenhower campaign and was a confidant of Carlson uh, and a Bob at that particular time. and. Uh, so I went back and told Pop, and I said, "Dad, uh, there's something, something amiss here. Uh, the senator is not doing what he normally does. He seems worried about something." So Dad meets with George, and they go up and talk to him, which they did many times before. And the senator said, um, uh, "I think uh, I don't think I'm going to run." They tried talking him out of it, uh, and so. Um, he said, well, it's either that or uh, I think I'm too old to get divorced. And uh, I sort of joked around that would be about, you know, the least, uh, uh, what, frivolous thing that, uh, that the senator would say. We, we, by the way, met for coffee every morning at 9.30, his whole staff regardless of anything. I don't care if we'd be at war. And he would go around the staff and ask how things were. And so he had a very devoted staff. My dad came back, or I came back home from work, and he says, well, the reason is that he's not going to run. And the next thing is, who's going to take his place? Uh, The dean of the delegation was Garner Shriver, who would be the obvious choice. Uh, The person who my dad described as the best potential political candidate he'd ever seen, ever, was Bob Dole. And so both George and my dad, who are now deceased, uh, talked to the senator, and and the senator made the call, and uh, my dad went over there and talked to him, and so did George. And uh, it is true. Uh, He was picked. He was hand-picked. And it was the logical choice if you wanted to win. Not that Garner Schreiber couldn't have run a good race, he was a great man, he served on appropriations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Bob Bill was the uh, newly designated star of the party, and was.
0: Briefly, walk us through, uh, for, for people who don't know the political landscape of Kansas, you know, East West, Johnson County, the, the big first district, and you know, coming out of that district, as promising as he was, what did Bob Doe have to do to, uh, to win a nomination and to, and to su-
1: succeed? Statewide? Well, I'm going to go back and ask a previous question. You don't get to do this with uh, your normal news shows that you're on. I first met him, I think, when I was in the Marine Corps, and my dad took, took me up to his office. And uh, my first impression was, uh, I just thought he was great. I mean, I thought he was one of the nicest and the most, um, just very impressive, very impressive. Was he in the house then? He was in the house. Uh, He was in the Cannon Building. And my dad had spent a lot of time up there advising Bill Katz and that whole, it was wonderful during the, tribute to Bob here just held recently a lot of those staffers came back it was like old, old home week he's got them all over Washington you know strategically placed I didn't mean to interrupt your thought oh, no no that's okay big first district uh, Kansas City and the Kansas City area now Johnson County primarily would always like to have a senator I mean any area of the state would like to have a senator but you look at Concordia In regards to Frank Carlson, you look, I'm trying to think the little town that Sheppel was from. Uh, I'm going to say Ransom, that's probably not right. Uh, But typically, you might have a senator from a particular eastern part of the state, but not from Wichita and not from uh, Johnson County, which at that time was not what it is today, or Kansas City. And even Topeka, uh, it would be from some other town. And it was because Topeka and Kansas City and Wichita would compete against each other. And so they'd say, oh, that's the candidate from Wichita. And Topeka and say, well, we're, you know, we don't have anything to do with that. And everybody west of Highway 81, uh, which now is 69 counties uh, with Jerry Moran, it's huge. It's two-thirds of the area, plus that district votes 28% uh, in regards to the total Republican vote. More than 25, now that we have four congressmen, we vote. I say we because I used to represent the district. It's hard for me to not have some favoritism there. But uh, we do vote. And so we have clout out there and uh, we have a very homogeneous district. But Bob was such a star quality candidate that he appealed uh, to Topeka and obviously uh, had served in the state legislature and knew a lot of people in the Kansas City area, knew a lot of people with the oil and gas background with Russell uh, and Wichita. And so everybody knew here was this rising star, you know, coming out of the West. And they didn't have a problem with it in regards to what may have been some pasture problems before uh, in politics. You come from this pasture, we don't want you, we want people in our pasture. Uh, For him, I think the fences were down, simply because of his ability and his uh, star star, uh, quality as a candidate.
0: Is it safe to say he he probably got along better with uh, Nancy? Than with Jim Pearson, or or I man, let me rephrase that. There's a sense that the relationship with
1: Pearson me on was was not <laughs> was
0: not as 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 up as, as it might have been, and I and I wonder how much of that is they represented sort of the embryonic to. Republican parties.
1: Well, it's interesting to me because Bob Ellsworth is a great friend of mine. He my guru on foreign policy and was for Bob Dole. He's brilliant. And he was the first NATO secretary. Bob was the, was, the, was the congressman from Kansas City, which at that time was, I think, the second. I may be wrong on that. At any rate, we had five. And uh, so... Ellsworth decided to run against Pearson uh, in a primary. And of all things, Ellsworth, who was more conservative, was portrayed in western Kansas as the more liberal, and Pearson was portrayed as the conservative. Uh, Is that because of geography? uh, I just think it was the way it was portrayed, and it was geography, one guy from Kansas City and the other guy... uh, not yep. and so that, that's how it worked. Well as it turned out uh, Jim Pearson in his own way uh, he used to tell uh, me uh, and also Jerry Waters uh, his administrative assistant and uh, we all met every week all of our administrative assistants, First me as AA to uh, the man uh, I.E. Carlson uh, and then administrative assistant to Key Sebelius so I'd Senate House and then we would join with uh, Les Rosen who worked for, you know, Garner Shriver and others and we you know, we met every week and would patch over things and you know, all of that. But um, now I I can't even remember what's your question. Well
0: was. it's just talking about the relationship with Jim Pearson.
1: Oh and well I think what happens to you is is that uh, if you're The new guy on the block, and you have the senior senator, and the senior senator is viewed as being more moderate. That would be the word today, or then it was liberal. Uh, And Jim, uh, you know, kept his own countenance. Uh, He was not a hail fellow well met guy. Uh, He was not particularly facile in regards to his public speaking, uh, he, was, he was a hard worker, he was very conscientious, he, he liked to go see, I think this is what I want to do, now I've got to go find a Democrat to do it with me. was pretty smart, because you can get something done. Uh, I just got, by the way, a childcare uh, bill that I had tried for 12 years to get done um, in an amendment uh, and it was Kennedy and Dodd who spoke for me on the floor and Kennedy goes over and puts his arm around me and says, see what Republicans can do when Democrats are in control well, Jim Pearson was that kind of guy now Bob was not Bob came to the, to the Senate and I remember those first two or three years he was a spear carrier for the Republican Party complete with shield and was the national chairman at one point right in the middle of Watergate right before Watergate uh, so he was—he uh, uh, was a warrior at that particular time. Now, then he had, and then he sort of morphed into uh, a more pragmatic senator than leader, albeit only winning by one vote over Ted Stevens. And uh, then well, Baker
0: told us, by the way, he was surprised. He didn't yeah. expect Noah to win. He thought that Ted Stevens.
1: Uh, I, I, I think that was probably the prevailing opinion, including in the mind of Ted Stevens, who is a great friend of mine now, who has gone over that race with me in some detail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I'm down to my last question. Uh, you, you, you said up front uh, you, some Bob Dole story. Have you, have you got a Bob Dole story or up?
1: Uh, you know, Richard, there's so many. I'm going to have to think about one that would be pretty appropriate that would be funny Uh, humorous We're humorous in the senate they're funny in the house uh so many different times of things that happened uh where again i knew what i wanted to do and i knew that sometimes i would do well largely it was with staff with bob and myself uh, and we had a great relationship uh, and we quite frankly played a lot of practical jokes on each other and um, and I could imitate Bob's voice and I remember one time when I called up um, Bill Wolford who is the late great KU football player and Bob's administrative assistant who by the way he appointed to head up his campaign in that tough race with Bill Roy at the very last minute and Pulled it out, a very narrow margin. Uh, Tough race. Actually, beat Bill Roy worse than people think because it was Watergate and all of that uh, on top of it, and it was a tough race, one of the toughest we've ever seen in Kansas. But uh, at any rate, I called up uh, Bill and uh, said, uh, "Oh," and uh, Bill said, "Yes, sir." I said, "Where's my speech?" And he says, "Well, uh, uh." I'll get a hold of, um, I'm trying to think of the guy's name who is the Ag ed, the Aggie uh, assistant on the floor for Bob at that particular time. I'll think of it in a minute. He's from Ulysses. Great guy. And uh, so he said, well, I'll find out. By the well, I've only got about two or three minutes here and I need it right now. You know, and so um, he called, it, called over there and uh, They frantically looked for this speech for I don't know how long, whatever. Well, he didn't have a speech. I mean, I just made it up. And they had done something to me that I won't even talk about. So at any rate, they looked for, I don't know, two or three hours. And then, of course, uh, as it turned out, pretty soon Bill figured it out and said, uh, "Then Mary said, uh, uh, Bill Wilford's on the line for you. I said, I'm not in. (laughs) Last
0: question. How hard was it for him to leave the Senate?
1: Terribly hard. Uh, very emotional. Look at the film. I mean, look at the look at the tape. Look at the uh, he and uh, his assistants uh, down there uh, were in tears and uh, very emotional. Uh, gosh, it was hard for me to leave the House. Uh, even though I was running for the Senate. I remember one of those last days going down through and talking to some of the people I always talked with What I had lunch, whatever. Uh, magnify that by a thousand. Uh, it, uh, you put your life into something. Uh, you put your hope, your dreams, your life, who you are, your ambitions, and then to leave that, and of course he was going on to better things in a higher uh, race, uh, and to be president, hopefully, but that's tough. That's tough. It's like who you are, and then you're leaving to become somebody else. I remember standing, you know, watching him with his arm around Sheila, who was right there with him all the time, and others who had worked with him on the on the on the floor. They were just in tears. He had a hard time with it, uh, and and he. Bob Dole is not a guy to show emotion, but when he does uh, it's a rare thing. I remember when Huck Boyd passed away uh, who is really his i don't I hate to say the word Godfather but that's really true and um, his sounding board his good friend and everything else we went out to the services and he couldn't he couldn't talk and uh, uh, I had something to say, because I was a family friend of Huck Boyd, and I got up and said it and said something for Bob, and Bob just um, was terribly emotional in the loss of, uh, you know, both of our good friends, or a friend of both of us, and uh, so he doesn't show emotion that much, but then on occasion, like that famous occasion in Russell, uh, with... The uh, President Ford, to... right. When well, he broke down... Uh, well, and then the also thing. at the Nixon funeral, where these emotions well up in him, And uh, uh, but that's the human side of him. I mean, he is a very pragmatic, successful Senate leader that will go down in history as one of the greatest of all time. And yet... There's a very human side to him, and he little things that he did, you know, for people in the district when he represented the big first, actually the sixth, and then the first uh, when they merged the district. People would come up and say, "I got a postcard from him." I remember he he was riding with Terry Evans of Salina. She had one of the youngsters in the back who wanted a piece of gum. And she says, I'm sorry, we don't have time to stop. She was taking the senator to wherever he was going, maybe the airport or wherever. uh, And so she was driving him. Well, the youngster just threw a fit. And she was so embarrassed. And uh, about a week later, she got a little note back from Bob with a stick of gum taped to it and says, you know, give this to Sam and Terry's youngster. Uh, he was famous for that, and famous for never forgetting a name. Then he's in the Senate. To duplicate that in the Senate is very difficult. But he did about the best job I know in knowing each individual. And he could touch somebody's heart just like that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank
0: you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Nixon...